Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 3, and I'll just jump into things and get started. We're talking today about bulldog turning setbacks into comebacks. What do I do when it feels too late for a comeback? Like it might be too late for me. I want to remind you of something that happened May 7th, 1995. May 7, 1995, the Indiana Pacers are playing the New York Knicks in a second-round playoff series. Game one, they're on the road. Indiana's on the road in Madison Square Garden. Tough place to play, tough opponent at the time. And the score is 105 to 99, New York. So Indiana's on the road. They're down. It's been an uphill battle the whole game. Indiana calls timeout with 18.7 seconds on the clock. They are down 105 to 99. Out of the inbound, they run a play. Reggie Miller catches the ball, steps behind the three-point line. And I can, if you've watched Reggie Miller play, you can see that sweet three-point jumper that he had. He lets it fly, drains the three-pointer. New York goes to take the ball inbounds, and Indiana steals the ball. They get the ball to Reggie. He steps behind the line. Launches a three-pointer, drains the three-pointer. It is now 105 to 105. New York has the ball. They're bringing the ball down the court. They try to make a shot. Defense is pretty good. The ball doesn't go in the basket. Indiana gets the rebound. They get the ball to Reggie. They foul Reggie. Reggie shoots two free throws, drains them both. In nine seconds, Reggie Miller scores eight points. In nine seconds for a comeback, they beat New York on the road for game one of that second round playoff series. Now, that's probably not the greatest comeback of all time, but it's one of the comebacks that the Indiana Pacers would certainly talk about. And here's what you know about comebacks. In sports, there does come a point when it's too late for a comeback, right? I always get Tickled, and I know why they're doing it, because they're coaches and they coach. That's just what you do when you're a coach, you coach. Doesn't matter what the score is, but I always get tickled. You know, th- their team is down by 25, there's 4.3 seconds on the clock, and they're still pointing to people, like telling them what to do, right? Like, we can still win this thing. We can, we've got like a 25.3 pointer in our pocket that's going to win the game or something. No, dude, it's over, give up. Just, you know, call off the dogs, let's just get this thing over with. But no, they're coaching. They're coaching. So I get it. I understand they're coaches. That's what they're supposed to do. But in sports, there comes a point where it's too late for a comeback. You, you just look, you just know this, we, our team lost. We're not going to win this game. It's over. But that's not true when it comes to life. It looks like it's too late for a comeback. But with God, it's never, ever too late for a comeback. Sometimes Uh, We just get ourselves fooled into thinking that. The life of Moses in the Old Testament is a great example of someone who would have thought that it was too late for a comeback. There's no way, God, you're going to be able to do anything. I'm way past time for this. Um, For some people, this series has been somewhat of a painful reminder because they think, Brett, it's just too late for me. I mean, God love you. You're talking about this, and I I know you you mean well, but um, it's just not happening. Here's what I'm here to tell you. You may not get back everything that you lost. You may not get back all your money. You may not get back all your, your, you you may not get the job back. You, You might not get your marriage back, okay? But it's never too late for God 
to stage a comeback in your life. The story of Moses is a comeback. Really, it begins as a comeback. You have Moses is born to this Israelite woman. The, the Egyptians are killing Hebrew boys because there's been a little bit of a, of a population explosion among the Hebrew people. And so to mitigate that, they are killing Hebrew boys. Well, to save this little baby, Moses' mother puts him in a special basket. You've heard the story, right? They treat it with pitch, and they, they, she floats this basket in the Nile, and someone from the household of, of Pharaoh comes into the, the reeds and finds the little baby, and Moses gets brought into the palace, and Moses, from infancy, is going to grow up basically as a prince of Egypt, and it looks like that's going to be Moses' life until we read this. And I'm going to start in, verse, in, in Acts, but we'll get to Exodus. Just stay in Exodus. But we read this in Acts chapter 7. One day, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. So, you know, he grows up in the palace, but he knows that he's really an Israelite. And he goes to visit his people. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, so Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. That's a really important thing to know. Moses is aware of his purpose. Moses is aware of what, who he is and what he what he's really should be about. But they didn't, he says, you know, he... He assumed that they knew that he was there to help them, but they didn't know that. Verse 26, the next day he visited them again and saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Men, he said, you are brothers. Why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. Who made you a ruler and judge over us, he asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. And for 40 years, that's where Moses is going to be, in fear that somebody is going to find out what he's done and come after him, or worse yet, tell Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's going to come after him. He lives in Midian for 40 years. He marries. He becomes a shepherd. He's watching his father-in-law's sheep. I mean, as far as Moses is concerned, those two worlds are so far apart from one another, prince of Egypt, and then all of a sudden, I mean, in a heartbeat, that all goes away, and now he's just this nobody in Midian watching sheep. But as Stephen tells this story in the New Testament, we read this, 40 years later in the desert near Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of a burning bush. And now we get more detail when we flip over to the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Moses is being set up for a comeback. And it's going to start with this experience that he has with this burning bush. Now let me just say, I don't think that Moses seeing a burning bush is all that different than what happens with you and me. And you're like, Brett, I've never in my life seen a burning bush. I think you have. I think you have. I don't think it looked like what Moses saw. I don't think it was a literal burning bush. 
But I think we all have these burning bush experiences. The bush may not be on fire and it may not be consumed, but here's what I mean. Here's what I would call a burning bush. It is in the midst of the routine, when you least expect it, you are surprised by God's invitation. You are surprised by God's invitation when you least expect it and it happens in the routine of your life. This is what burning bush experiences are and this is what it was for Moses and it's what it can be for you. It was just a routine day for Moses. Nothing special about this day. He's watching these sheep like every other day he's ever done in Midian. That's the life he's come to know. When he least expected it, Moses has been there 40 years. You know what that means? 14,600 other mornings he woke up, nothing strange happened. Nothing out of the ordinary happened for Moses. He was not expecting this. And then finally, he is surprised because God shows up. Now, what made the bush extraordinary was the fire. Anytime you see fire in the Bible, you can associate it in some way with the presence of God. That's really what fire represents in Scripture. It represents the presence of God. And God's presence changes things. It can cause a bush to catch fire and not be consumed. God's presence in your life can cause you to come alive. It can cause you to catch fire. It can cause you to, to become something great for God. God's presence can do amazing things. Exodus 3, verse 4, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I think one of the most surprising things for Moses as much as it would be a surprise to see the burning bush, I think what really surprised Moses is he hears his name. Whatever this is, whoever this is, and I think he knew that it was supernatural, they know my name. God knows my name. What I'm hoping today is that as I speak that you hear your name. I hope God talks to you. I hope God taps you on the shoulder. I hope God calls you into something today. I hope, I hope you're, you're not just on autopilot, but I hope that God says your name this morning, something specific about you, to you, and about your life. What, I, what I'm saying is that you're in a place right now that can be a place where God can show up in your life. Now, you may not, you know, I, I don't think the person's head in front of you is just going to suddenly combust and you're going to see a fire, okay? Let's hope that doesn't happen. And I'm not going to ask you to take your shoes off that you're on holy ground. Let's keep our shoes on this morning, keep a nice smell in this place. But is it possible that this morning God could show up and call your name? Moses has this meeting with God. It, it, it gave him the power to take the next step in his life. And as we watch this story unfold, we get some insight into the struggle that we experience when God challenges us to make a comeback. And it, it's not always easy. God says, hey, I've got this, this comeback all set up for you, and we aren't always sure that we want to step in that direction. God comes along, hey, I've got this thing, I, you know, let's, let's have you do this. And we're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I don't, I don't need that. I'm not sure I want to do that. And sometimes God may have a comeback ready for you, but you're not ready for the comeback. And you have to go through some hard conversations with God. And you say things like, God, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't think this will work. 
And the real truth is you're just afraid to hope again. You're just afraid to get your hopes up because you did that before and you thought it was going to be awesome and it was anything but awesome. You didn't have a great experience and you feel, felt like a failure and, and you're not sure you can do that one more time. Moses goes through all of this in his meeting with God. He goes through the same emotions that we have. He experiences the same things that we experience. God says, I want to do something new and different. I want to cause a comeback to happen in your life. And Moses has the same kind of questions that we would have when God starts talking to us. And for many of us, the answer to what God wants to do in us is found in God's answers to Moses as Moses asks four different questions. That's what we're going to look at today. In this conversation with God, Moses asks God four different questions. And in each of God's responses, and they're not long responses, the questions aren't long, and the response isn't really all that long. But I'm hoping that in the responses that God has to Moses' questions, you get some of the help you need this morning. So let's look at the conversation with Moses and God. I want you to go to, to Egypt. I want you to talk to Pharaoh for me. I want you to be my messenger. You're going to do this on my behalf. And here's where we get Moses' first question for God, and this is what it is. Who am I? God, who am I? I mean, look at me. I, I, see, I don't have that in me. I, I'm a shepherd here in Midian. I, I left the life in Egypt a long time ago. Who am I to, to go up to Pharaoh and talk to him? I mean, you know, I've got a past. I'm out here in the wilderness by myself. Who do you think I am that I can do this thing? Exodus 3 verse 11 tells us, but Moses protested to God. Boy, there's a word we're familiar with, isn't it? Protested before God. To God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. Moses is telling God just how ordinary he is. The truth is, when you look at your qualifications, the truth is, when you look at your life and you look at what you have and what you're able to do, you will always feel not enough. You're always going to feel too dumb or too short or too fat or too skinny or too tall or too bald or too hairy or too whatever, right? You're just going to feel like you don't have enough money or you don't have enough prestige or you don't have enough intelligence. You don't have enough sachet about you. You just don't have it. God, I just, I can't do this. I know an awful lot of people who have kind of settled into their setback, unwilling to step into a comeback because it's more comfortable here. It's just easier here. I, I, I just, God, don't talk to me about it. That's what happened to Moses. You know, and we, we think, well, that's just the way things are. You know, Bruce Hornsby, that's just the way it is. And God says, no, I, I have something way better for you. Sometimes we get stuck in our setbacks and we feel like there's no way out of it. Sometimes we hear God knock and, and we feel like we're the last person. Who should be opening the door to God? God, I'm the last person you should be talking to about this. That's exactly how you might be feeling today. And God has an answer for Moses. And I think in God's answer to Moses, you're going to find your answer. He says, I will be with you. 
It's pretty interesting because God could have said an awful lot of things to Moses in this moment. He could have really built Moses up. Don't forget, Moses was an Israelite who grew up in Egypt. And God could have easily said, no, Moses, you're the one person who is most qualified to go talk to the Pharaoh. You're the only person who grew up an Israelite, but you grew up in the palace around Pharaoh and his court. But that is not what God says. He doesn't point to Moses' qualifications as if that's what's special. God points to himself. And he says, I will be here. I will be with you, Moses. If I'm looking for a comeback in my life, even when I think it's too late, I cannot look at my qualifications. I can't look at who I am. I have to look at who God is. See, when you go through your toughest transitions in life, you have to look at the things, um, you have to look at the right things, and the right thing is God, not, not what you've got, not who you are, not what makes you up. God is with you. When you feel that tap on your shoulder that God is asking you to do something and you think you can't do it, God says, I am with you. And as God's saying this to Moses, Moses has an object lesson right in front of him. This bush is on fire. And it's not being consumed. I mean, he's looking at a miracle. Now, the bush wasn't anything special. It, it may have been a scraggly old bush. I don't know. It may be the most beautiful bush you've ever seen in your life. The bush is insignificant. What's not insignificant is the fire that's in it, which is the presence of God. Moses was seeing up close and personal, God can work in my life. And I, I'm going to show you this saying, and I know this is a pithy saying, and you've probably seen and heard this a million times, but it really is true. God is really, it's really not about your ability. It's about your availability. God could care less about your ability. What God's interested in is your availability. I saw a guy one time, was a friend of mine. He was planning to do some ministry thing. It was going to require that he raise some money. It was going to require him to do something that heretofore I had not been shown any reason to believe that he would be capable of doing that. I mean, I'm just in my flesh. I'm watching the whole experience, and I'm thinking to myself, he, that, he can't do that. He, I mean, there's no way he can do that. And I was praying about him. I was praying for him, and I was just praying about the whole thing, and and, you know, I was kind of saying that to God, like, God, that, that dude does not have what it takes to do what he wants to do. <laughs> Very clearly heard God say to me, Brett, he's willing when nobody else is. That's what I need. I can make him whatever he needs to be. I just need somebody willing to do it. And he's willing. And you know what? My whole attitude about it changed. God is more than capable of making up for whatever it is that you lack in your life. One of the things that I have had to fight my entire life is a feeling of inadequacy. Try as I may to be confident, try as I may to project confidence to you and like, oh, I got this, you know, I'm, I'm your leader, come on, let's go. No, I fight inadequacy, feelings of inadequacy all the time. 
Um, I, you know, I've prayed and I've served and I've, I've been in ministry for a long time and I've, I've actually even had a few successes along the way and some things have gone well and, and you would think that that would just kind of bolster everything but still the feelings of inadequacy remain. We all have feelings of inadequacy. Do you know why? Because we are inadequate. <laughs> right? None of us are. The great things that God has for us, the big things that he wants to accomplish, he wants to accomplish those through us because of, or really in spite of us, okay? Because if he goes and taps you on the shoulder to do something, he's like, man, I'm going to get them because they are perfect. They, they can do it all. They've got every gift necessary to do this job. Read your Bible, it just seems like every time God calls somebody to do something, the guy's going, or the girl's going, I don't, I should, why, why are you talking to me? I can't do this. And God in different ways, he doesn't say it always the same way, but basically what God's saying is, I'm going to get glory through this, okay? I'm going to get glory for it. I don't really need you to be perfect. I'm perfect. I just need you to be willing. Let me use you. I'm going to come behind it. I'm going to do all this amazing stuff. And when, ev- when we're done, everybody's going to know it weren't you. You're not that great. Okay? Now, God has demonstrated that in my life over and over and over again. Brett, I'm going to do something, and I just want you to know you ain't nothing. Okay? <laughs> just start right there. But you watch what I do. It's just pretty amazing. Paul talked about this. Paul changed the world, for crying out loud. Probably one of the greatest missionaries that's ever lived. One of the best evangelists that's ever walked the planet. I mean, think about what Paul did. But look at this. Look what he said in 2 Corinthians. Not that we are, in ad- not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. So when you and I feel inadequate of, for something, and, and who doesn't at times, right? We all kind of feel that way. We have a choice. We can shrink back into our comfort zone. We can shrink back behind the fence where it's all nice and safe and we're not going to get our feelings hurt or we're not going to fail. We're not going to risk anything. That's a safe, comfortable place to be there. I like comfort just as much as you do. I like safe just as much as you do. We can go there or we can step up and we can say, God, I don't know what it looks like, but I, I love you and I trust you and I know that you love me and I know that when I'm with you, I'm as safe as I can be, even if I'm dying. And so, God, what do you got? I'll do it. I may look like a fool, but I'll be a fool for you. So the question is, who am I? You trust God to give, him, give you his strength, and you trust God to give you his power, and God says, Moses, I'm going to be with you. To which Moses has a second question. Well, that one didn't work. So then he looks at God and he says, well, God, who are you? If you're going to be with me, who are you? That's where we go to verse 13 of chapter 3. But Moses protested. He's still protesting. Boy, he's working it. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. (laughs) 
Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now how would you like to be having a conversation with God? Already it's weird, you're talking to a burning bush, it's strange, right? It's just strange. Okay, now i got all these objections, God, I can't, I'm not your guy, like you don't want me, who am I, God? And then the next thing is, but okay, we know who you are now, we know who I am now, who are you? And God says, I am. Thanks, God, that's helpful. Not really. I mean, what do you want me to do with that? I am, I mean, what is that? What he's saying is, I am the one who can meet your every need. Now, I, I'm not going to do it this morning because we're on a time thing, but I could, I could just go down such a rabbit hole right now on the two words, I am. There's a whole sermon there, and it, it really, the, the phrase, I am, is really, as I think about it, is what the, the theology that, that forms and fuels the way I live my life and the way I look at God, because he is the I am. And it's just a very significant thing as we're about to see. You start looking into the Hebrew Bible and you will see the name of God used like this many, many times. And he uses it in different circumstances as if to say, I can be this in a lot of different circumstances. I've got some examples for you. When, they, when they're out of food and water in the desert, God says to them, I am your provision. Jehovah Jireh is how we see that. When they need victory in battle, he says, I am your victory. That's Jehovah Nisi. Then there's a point where they need peace from the battle. They've been fighting and they need peace. And he says, I am your peace. That's Jehovah Shalom. And then when they need to feel God's presence and they don't have any hope for the future, he says, I am there. That's Jehovah Shema. I am the one who can meet your everyday needs. We live in a world where we say things like, I wish, you know, I wish I hadn't. I wish things had been different. I wish I'd made that choice. God says, I am. I am not about wishes. I am the one who can meet that need, and I am the one who can help you to take the next step. There's this sense of confidence in those two words, I am, when it comes to God. I am. It's really the most holy name that you can have for God. And so Moses says, okay, but I've still got some questions. Like he's come at him pretty, pretty strong with two questions, but he's not done. Question three, what about them? What about them? Lord, I don't want to be difficult. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've just got a bad feeling about this. I'm going to go talk to them, to these Egyptian people. And I, what am I going to tell them? I was talking to this bush the other day. Right? I mean, that's not going to go real good. They're automatically going to think I'm nuts. And then they're going to say, well, who sent you? And I'm going to give them the, the I am thing. And that, God, that doesn't even make any sense to me. It's not going to make sense to them. I'm, not, I'm a little fuzzy on I am. God, this isn't going to work. And by the way, I tried this. I was their rescuer, and they didn't want anything to do with me. In fact, they threatened me. It just didn't work, God. Verse 1 of, of Exodus chapter 4, but Moses protested again. Boy, he is really at it. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? What about them? Here's my question for you. 
Here's my question for you. What are they keeping you from? What are they, whoever they are, what are they keeping you from? How are they keeping you from God's best in your life? What if they reject me? What if they ignore me? What if they make fun of me? What if they don't like me? And oftentimes, we, we just, we don't even take the risk. They may not even be around anymore, but we still hear their voice. They still inform us. They may have passed on and gone to glory. God love them, rest their soul, but there's, you still hear that voice. What are they keeping you from? What do you do when you're paralyzed by the fear of what they might think or what they might do or what they might say? First of all, you do realize, right, that you're not alone. Moses had all those same fears. Moses is this great leader, but Moses had all kinds of fear. What do you do? You have to get your eyes off them, and you got to get your eyes on God. Who are they? What have they ever done? God is your sovereign Lord. You say, well, Brett, how do I do that? And the answer is the same way that Moses did. God looks at Moses and he says, here's, here's his response to what, what about them. God looks at Moses and he says, what is that in your hand? Moses, what do you got in your hand? My experience with God has been that he usually answers my questions <laughs> with other questions, right? Like I say this all the time, the best praying I do isn't when I'm talking to God. That's not the best praying I do. The best praying I do is when God's talking to me, generally asking questions, generally in response to questions I've asked him. I was in Bible college, and I was, I'd been out somewhere. I was all dressed up in a suit, and I'm not really sure why I had a suit on. It was the middle of the daytime. I didn't wear a suit many times at school in the middle of the daytime, but I had a suit on. And I, somebody did something, and it hurt my feelings, or it made me mad or something. And I came into the room, and I started slinging things. I started undressing, you know. And my, Kent, my poor roommate, is sitting on his bed studying. Didn't say a word through this whole thing. I come in. I'm just talking, talking to God, talking to Kent, talking to whoever will listen, really, pretty much. And I'm, t I'm ripping off my jacket, you know, and I throw it down on my bed. And I'm saying all this stuff, and I'm like, and I'm asking God questions. Like, God, why did they do that? Don't they know how that makes me feel? And then I heard God ask me a question. And the question was, oh, so is this about your pride? Huh? Yeah, is this about your pride? Has somebody hurt Brett's precious pride? And so the short of it is, as I'm stripping down to my skivvies pretty much to get into some more comfortable clothes, by the time I'm down to almost nothing, God has me to a point where I'm ready to go apologize to the person who offended me, right? That's what happens when God starts asking questions like, okay, let's start to examine some motives here. Let's start thinking about why do you feel that way? Why are you acting like this? Brett, come on. What's in your hand? Moses, what's in your hand? Now, you would think that God's answer to the question, what about them, would have the answer, God would say, look at me. You know, when Moses says, what about them? You would think God would say, look at me. That's not what God says. He says, look at what's in your hand. So the answer to the fear of them 
And what they'll think and what they'll do is look what God has put in your hand. Quit looking at the unknown them and look at what God's got in your hand. God uses the very familiar things to take away the fear for Moses. And Moses looks at his hands and he's holding a shepherd's staff. Verse 3 of chapter 4. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back, which was natural reaction to seeing a snake. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed its tail and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. The answer to the question of them, the question that Moses asked God is found right there. You take what's in your hand and you put it in God's hands. You throw it down and you trust God with it. That's what you do with it. It may be simple, it may be small, whatever it is, you just put it in God's hands. Ability, decisions, fear, what is it in your hands? Get, put it in God's hands. It's at that moment that the fear is going to begin to be dealt with and God's going to start doing something with it. In God's hands, a staff can become a serpent. In God's hands, a failure can become a focus on God's purpose in your life. In God's hands, a problem can become a promise. And in God's hands, a disappointment can become a dream. And in God's hands, the cross for torture, that's what the cross represented, God can take and move it around and change it to make it a symbol of forgiveness and hope for the rest of us. That's what happens when you put something in God's hands. It changes. It doesn't stay the same. What do you have in your hands? And you're like, no, this is never going to change. When you give it to God, it starts to change. When, when whatever it is that's keeping you from taking the very next step, you just say, God, I'm going to trust you with this. I don't even know how you're going to do this, but I'm going to trust you with it. And you will break free, and you will realize, pretty soon you're going to realize, you can't give to God something you don't have. Stop trying to give God something you don't have. Take what you have, preferably everything you have, and just say, God, here it is. It's yours. You use it. All you can give is what you have, nothing more. God isn't looking for extraordinary. God is extraordinary. He's looking for ordinary people because when he takes ordinary people and he adds his extraordinariness to it, he starts to do some pretty amazing things. And when it happens, you just kind of stand back and go, well, I know he didn't do that, so I know God must have been involved in this somehow. God wants the credit. And you know what? God deserves the credit. He invented you and me. He invented the sun, moon, and the stars. He invented 600 different kinds of beetles. He made your daggone eyeball, which is a miracle how the eyeball works. He deserves praise, and he deserves the credit. What's in your hand? God says, take a step of faith and give it to me. Put it in my hand. So Moses has, is seeing these two miracles of God. He's just seen this bush on fire, and now he's seen this shepherd's staff turn into a snake. And now he's got the big question. Like, this is the one he's been saving. Like, I'm going to get him. I'm going to bring this out. This is going to level God. Question four, what about this? What about this? Moses saved the best to last. Look at uh, verse 10 of chapter 4. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. When I was little, when I was in 
high school, my pastor and my youth pastor kept saying, Brett, you've got gifts for ministry. You need to go into ministry. You know what my response was? Well, you got to get up in front of people. Why would I do that? I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Verse 11, then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Moses felt handicapped. Take that, God. I got a handicap. That's why this won't work. People feel handicapped by all kinds of things. Decisions, past, education, family, age. I looked at them in the first service. You know, they're all of them over 65 thinking, you know, God's done with me. No, he's not. When you start pointing at those things and say, I can't because of that, then you are basically pointing to your handicap and saying, God, you need to give me a pass. God's answer to what about this is, I'm in control. Who made your mouth? I did. God knows about your handicap. He cares about it more than anybody else, but he also wants you to be aware of his strength. Even in your shortcomings, there's great strength. So he reminds Moses that he understands that he cares. He says, go speak my words to Pharaoh. Your handicap is not in control. Your disappointment is not in control. Your past is not in control. God is in control, not those other things. Moses finally listens and he says yes, and wow, does Moses have a comeback. And he has a great comeback because he says yes to God that day. Now, I just want you to think for a minute. We're almost done. I just want you to think for just a minute. What would, would Moses have missed had he not said yes to God? Here's what Moses would have missed. Moses would have missed the parting of the Red Sea. He would never have seen that. Moses would have missed following God with a cloud leading him by day and a fire by night. Moses would have missed that. Moses would have missed manna from heaven. Moses would have missed receiving the Ten Commandments on Sinai. And Moses would have missed the opportunity to lead his people right up to the land that God had promised him. And to be able to look over. Now, God said, you're not going to go on the other side because you did some things, you misbehaved, you're not going in there. But I'm going to let you see it. Moses would have missed all that. Here's the thing. When Moses said, yes to God, I'll take the first step, he didn't see all that other stuff. You never see all that other stuff. Listen, I'm in my 28th year at this church. 28 years ago, when they called me to come be the youth pastor here, and I said, yes, I'll step into that, I never dreamed all this would happen. In fact, if you knew the details of my life, you would have said, I could never dream that all that would happen. And I'm not saying that I'm the the one responsible. I'm just saying I would never have seen it. But I've been here 28 years, and I've seen God do some pretty amazing things. We paid this building off in five years. That's pretty amazing. Over a million dollars worth of debt. Paid it off in five years. I'm like, God, I never thought I would see you do that, but you did it. The journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. One step in the direction of Egypt. And Moses' life changed forever. So the question is, what caused Moses to take the first step? And here's what Hebrews tells us. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasure of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. 
I would just have you circle the word reward there. If you were, you don't have that open, I know, but if you're ever in Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, verse, chapter 11, verse 26, circle the word reward. He changed his mind when he came into an understanding of what the reward was going to be. And then you get to this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. I love the way the message says this. He had his eye on the one no, one, no eye can see and kept right on going. Moses trusted God. You know, it's easy to get stuck in your own little world and not think about anything else. If some of you, your world's not all that little. Some of you, your world's pretty big. It's easy to get stuck in your big world. The, the way we break out is to realize that God is bigger than our own little world or even our own big world. Moses experienced both. Moses understood what it was to be a big shot in Egypt, and Moses also understood what it was to have his own little world over here in Midian where nobody even knew his name. He didn't even think anybody knew his name. L.D. Campbell was my pastor growing up. I've talked a lot about L.D. He is, has been my spiritual mentor. He is a spiritual father to me. I love him like my own father. Um, just a profound impact, influence on my life. And I can still remember some of L.D.'s sermons, or at least parts of them. And I remember in a sermon when I was about 17 or 18 years old, and L.D.'s preaching along, and he quotes the great D.L. Moody when D.L. Moody said, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was somebody. He spent the next 40 years of his life thinking he was a nobody, and he spent the last 40 years of his life realizing that God can use a nobody. I don't know what you think you are. I don't know what you think God can or cannot do with you. You may feel like a nobody. God can use a nobody. He does it every single time. Everybody God uses is a nobody until God gets a hold of them. God is bigger than how you feel about yourself. He's bigger than any problem you've got. He's bigger than any handicap. He has the power to do something new and unique in your life. The same God that called Moses and empowered him to take the first step is the same God that calls you to take the next step. And for some of you, the next step is, I believe in Jesus. I need to give my life to him. I just had a great conversation with a young lady this week, and that's the step she took. I believe in Jesus, I believe he rose from the dead, and the next step for me is to give my life to him. That may be the next step for you. I hope it is. I hope you think about it. And if you are, let's get together and let's talk. All right? I'm going to pray for you. The, uh, the, the band is going to come out and sing for us. Remember, exit by rose. Try to get outside as quickly as you can. Hopefully, it looks like it's pretty outside. It's uh, so good to be with you. I just love you so much. Let's pray together. Father, uh, would you do for, for us what you did for Moses? Would you tap us on the shoulder and call us to something big? Because it's in that big thing when we feel overwhelmed and overshadowed and in, in, inadequate and, and insignificant. It's, it's in those moments when you come along and you do something and when it's all done, we step back and we go, wow, God's awesome. You're awesome, God. You're great. And you should be praised for everything that you have done and continue to do for us. Father, I pray for everyone today that you'd keep them safe. For the one who's maybe thinking about giving their life to you, push them over the edge. Help them to see that is the best decision they will ever make in their life. So, Father, we take the rest of our morning and we just bow down and we give it to you. And we tell you we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.